So hey, as we start out today, I, I'm just wondering how many of us in the room would consider ourselves Star Wars fans? Put your hand up uh, in your location if you would consider yourself a Star Wars fan or if you've seen uh, the new episode seven, The Force Awakens. I, I, I saw this movie two times uh, over the Christmas holidays and about halfway through the, 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 second, the second time I was watching it, I was sitting there thinking about all of these characters that they've now woven in in this next generation that you know, new Star Wars fans are, are, are falling in love with. And I thought, how does Star Wars do this? How do they assemble you know, peasant girls and, and former stormtroopers and robot droids and, and get them all to become friends and work together? And I, and I thought about even the, the history of Star Wars and Wookiees and Ewoks and even that Jar Jar Binks character, which we're not gonna go there this morning, but you know, Star Wars has had this cool way of bringing all of these different types of creatures and people and whatnot together to consistently do battle against the dark side. And I thought, isn't that cool how episode after episode, one of the hallmarks of these Star Wars movies are these unlikely friendships that are formed. Then I started to reflect on that and realized, you know, th that seems to be a plot line of a lot of the movies that, that I like. I was thinking about my, my favorite movie, A Few Good Men, and the spoiled brat lawyer Tom Cruise character, Danny Caffey, and the lieutenant commander, Joanne Galloway, played by Demi Moore. And she's kind of uptight and he's easygoing. And, and you know, over the course of the movie, they become friends. I was thinking about the movie Goodwill Hunting, where the Robin Williams therapist character becomes friends with the, the Matt Damon kind of rebellious punk kid character. Thinking about the Shawshank Redemption, another one of my favorite movies, where the Tim Robbins character, this kind of upscale, wrongly accused and convicted banker, becomes friends with this hardened murder criminal in the Morgan Freeman character. And I, I realized that all of the movies that I like kind of have that plot line kind of flowing through them of, of, of these unlikely friendships. And then I realized that, you know, so many of the movies that we find entertaining that grip our hearts, you know, kind of work along with, with that theme. You've got, whether it's The Odd Couple or Driving Miss Daisy or E.T., they, they all kind of have that dynamic. Many of the Disney movies uh, are like that too. You know, Lilo and Stitch, the fox and the hound, you know, even Woody and Buzz, you know, they, they are just another example of these unlikely friendships and I just realized that in a lot of ways, that, that dynamic of unlikely friendships, regardless of the plot, that, that's, what, that's what many great stories are made of. And, and this morning, I want us to think about that and, and to kind of camp out on the question why that is. What is so powerful about the dynamic of surprising or unlikely friendships, especially you know, within the conversation that we've been having in this journey of love beyond belief in this series called The Gospel of Us, especially from a spiritual perspective. What is so powerful spiritually in the dynamic of unlikely friendships, which around here we often refer to as the dynamic of mutuality, of mutuality. Now mutuality, just to kind of build the, the definition of it, it, it is is simply experiencing, in spiritual terms, the wonder of unlikely friendships through embracing relationships of diversity. You know, in English, becoming friends with people who are surprisingly different than us. 
and allowing God to surprise us with how much he does in those relationships. That's, that's the essence of mutuality. But it's based, just so we're clear, it's based on a few very significant kind of theological or biblical building blocks that I just want us to review again this morning. The first is that when a person enters a life of faith, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, something else happens to them beyond just the spiritual work of God in them. They don't just go from what the Bible describes as without the life of God to experiencing the life and activity of God through the death and resurrection and forgiving and empowering work of Jesus as much as that happens. But also the Bible says people go from outside a certain relational status or capacity to become inside that status or capacity. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, separated from God, have been brought near to him by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer like foreigners and strangers, but now you are fellow citizens with all of God's people and members of his household. Certainly something individual happens when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, but something also collective happens. That's the essence of the gospel of us, that when you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of a greater, grander us in becoming a part or member of the spiritual family of God. Now, just like any family, not everyone's the same, and there's you know certain amount of, of difference that you know all families would like to kind of uh, enjoy and, and, and embrace. Um, that's certainly true in the spiritual family of God as well. In fact, one of the other uh, kind of metaphors that the Bible uses for the people of God is the metaphor of a human body and refers to all people, all followers of Jesus as unique kind of individual separate parts of that body. But in passages like 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. The point is, as you become a part of this spiritual dynamic of God's family, you, know, you are exposed to and are, in that sense, intended to embrace the idea of diversity. That there are people very different than you who also belong to this family that are part of the family, brothers and sisters, just like you because of the work that God is doing. And so part of this journey of mutuality is just embracing the dynamic of diversity. But mutuality takes the embracing of diversity up a couple more notches. It doesn't just appreciate that there is diversity. It actually embraces and appreciates that diversity in your life. You know, you think about the, the life of Jesus. One of the most kind of striking impacts that Jesus had was surprising his onlookers with the kind of people that he experienced and enjoyed friendship and relationship with. In Luke 15 is one example. It says their tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Welcoming and eating with people, being synonymous with becoming friends, sharing your lives. And I think a lot of times our, our mental model of Jesus is of this you know, perfect person who came to save people who are different than him, which is true. 
But sometimes I wonder whether we fully embraced a, a, a mindset of Jesus that sees him as a person who not only was saving people different than him, but was actually friends and loving and enjoying relationship with people who were drastically different than him. You know, a, a Jesus who you know, formed a, a, a core crowd of very eclectic Misfit people, a person who spent his day associating with the tax collectors and prostitutes and, and kind of the, the unsightly people of society, the outcasts, the lepers, the sick, the demon-possessed. Many of these people Jesus engaged in relationship and friendship with. Jesus defied all of the social kind of ladders and, and, and statuses in in having surprisingly good friendships with women and even with children, people of, of far less, if any, value in first century culture. And, and part of this journey of mutuality is appreciating just how much Jesus enjoyed and therefore models what it is to engage in friendships, in true relationships of diversity. It's not that Jesus hung around with people the same as him so that he could serve people who were different. Quite the opposite, in fact. Jesus hung around with people who were different and had probably the greatest impact on those who were the most the same as him, Jewish males. And so part of embracing this idea of mutuality is realizing just how much Jesus, Jesus valued that and, and, and modeled that. But then, you know, finally I would say mutuality takes a, a final step and realizes not only as a part of the family of God with very different people that you know, I need and, and want to embrace like Jesus, mutuality appreciates that the biggest reason I do that is so that I can actually experience more of the person and work of Jesus in me. In Ephesians 4, refers to this metaphor of the body again, and it says, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. And what mutuality ultimately embraces is that as a part of the body of Christ, as someone belonging to the family of God, in order for me to grow Fully, In order for me, as the verse says, to be healthy and growing and full of love, I need the work of every other part, even the ones that I don't think I do. Ultimately, that's mutuality. Mutuality is the heart attitude that sees the work of God as possible, if not as necessary in everyone, even in or especially in diversity. Mutuality is what drives us to enjoy the wonder of unlikely friendships and even more than that from a spiritual perspective to enjoy the most of the work of Christ through them. Now for many of us I'm going to admit that this morning um, we're, we're wearing choir robes because I feel like if there is one lesson that God has taught us and one thing that God has been doing again and again and again in our midst, especially over the last decade, it is you know, prompting people to step out of their comfort zone and engage in these kind of relationships of diversity, surprising us with unlikely friendships. All you have to do is walk through one of our locations, uh, lobbies or, or cafes or hallways to see the pictures that we posted 
or kind of surf our new website, southridgechurch.ca, to see stories and, and videos of one after another, after another, after another. Examples of, of unlikely friendships, of people who were surprised by what God could do through very diverse relationships. In my own family, we've been uh, able to enjoy this ride as well. One of the, one of the friends that we've uh, gotten to know in the last number of years uh, because of our uh, involvement around the Glenridge location specifically and, and uh, you know, my involvement uh, working there during the week uh, is through a guy who used to live at the shelter and still hangs out there now that he's got his own place, a guy by the name of Norm. And uh, Norm, over the years, we've gotten to know a lot of our staff, especially have become good friends with Norm. But Norm uh, is a hockey fan and even a Leafs fan. You know, don't hate him for that. But, uh, you know, one of the things he loves to do is go watch hockey. And so uh, a lot of times uh, Norm will come with my brother and I when we go on road trips uh, to, so he can go and watch our kids play. And over the last number of years, he's become kind of a fixture uh, on these road trips. And for sure, you know, someone might kind of mistake this for what is commonly known in the church as charity. Charity is when the stereotypical haves are helping the stereotypical have-nots. And at some point, I'm sure there was a little bit of that dynamic with Norm. Norm, you know, wanted to watch some hockey, so we helped him watch some hockey. Norm, uh, you know, wanted or needed a ride, and so we gave Norm rides. Norm wanted, you know, Tim Hortons at every single stop, and we got Norm one cup of coffee. Norm wanted to, you know, bum cigarettes off people, and we told Norm he should stop smoking. It's kind of, you know, you have that certain dynamic. But over the last number of years, and just road trip after road trip, game after game, things have changed. And I can't pinpoint a certain moment, but I know there have been times that have kind of indicated to me that things have changed. You know, it, you notice that things have changed when the, hey, how's it going? you know, actually gets reciprocated to you. And you realize that he means it just as sincerely as you. And because you've got long drive times that are going to require an answer deeper than fine, you actually get into what's going on in both of your lives. You hear Norm speak into your life in the same way that you're speaking into his. You know, one of the times where I really noticed this was, you know, over, over the years, Norm's gotten to know our, our kids. And you know, once in a while, Norm will make a comment about our kids' behavior or about the way we're handling it, you know, as parents. I've had Norm speak into and correct my parenting, and you know what? He's right. You see it when he's kind of hanging out with the other uh, parents on the, on the hockey team, and, and he's kind of the life of the party, you know, driving the, the sense of humor and the, the laughs and the fun that everyone's having, and you realize that He's actually adding more value than he's demanding off someone who he's getting a cigarette from. And over time, you start to realize that, that someone like Norm in your life, while very different and coming from a very different background as you, um, is, is actually adding as much or more to your life than you might think you're adding to his. And over time, he becomes much more than a spectator or even kind of a team mascot, but with me and with our family and and even with our extended hockey family, many of whom are, are outside of the church or a faith background, Norm has become a very dear friend and a, a, an integral part of our team. I know a lot of us have experienced the wonder of those kinds of friendships and are continuing to experience more and more of them. Some of us, though, I realize, are still kind of skeptical. Some of us are still wondering, what's the big deal? Well, you know, I, I, 
I like the friends that I have. I'm comfortable where I'm at. Why, why would I bother adding more, more friends than I can currently handle, than I can currently want to? And, and I would say that even those of us who have experienced and tasted some of the wonder of the spiritual dynamic of mutuality through unlikely friendships, you know, even those of us have got a long way to, to grow. And I feel like the reason we might feel that kind of aversion to engage in more unlikely friendship more of the time through mutuality is because of just how strongly our society teaches us the very opposite. Teaches us to surround ourselves with people that are as homogeneous, that, that are as most like us as possible. To buy houses and to move into neighborhoods where people are like us. To send our kids to school in environments where the other kids will be the most like them. To participate in teams and activities and clubs where people will be surrounded by people who are most like them. And again and again and again, it, it, it produces sameness. And the idea that our culture might teach, you know, when it comes to relating to diversity is that as you gain strength from being in relationship with those who are the same as you, you might have something left over to contribute to those who are different than you. But not the opposite, which is the value of mutuality, that by gaining exposure and strength and impact from those who are different than you, you will never be the same. I feel like what we've got to appreciate if we're going to fully embrace the journey of mutuality that gives us the gift of unlikely friendships is just how countercultural. The idea that Jesus had of what the kingdom of God, what a life of following him really involves. Just how countercultural this is. In an example in uh, Luke chapter 9, he says there, whoever welcomes a little child, someone who in that society had absolutely no value, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. The one who is the least among you who is the greatest. And Jesus isn't labeling or categorizing or ranking people judgmentally. He's just using the societal language and ranking system of the day. He's saying who you feel possesses the least value in the kingdom of God from a spiritual perspective is often the person who has the most value. The one who you believe has the least value, the least need to be in relationship with you could actually provide the greatest spiritual value to your life. That's the countercultural heart attitude that needs to root us if in fact we're going to embrace the kind of diversity that drives us to friendships of mutuality where we can enjoy the spiritual wonder of unlikely friendships. So if you're taking notes today, there's really only one action step I want you to consider, but as I think about that one action step, uh, there's actually some component heart attitudes associated with it. So we're going to build that one action step over the course of considering these components. So let's start off by conceding that mutuality at, at, at its very core, if you want to experience more of it, mutuality demands that you admit you need. Now that's part of a larger sentence, so I understand the, the grammar at this point. No, admit you need, admit you have need, admit that you need change and things in, in your life. This is at its most basic core. If I, if I look around and think, you know, I don't, I don't need mutuality, diversity. I don't need unlikely friendships in my life. Part of that is because you're not realizing that you actually need to change. And the Bible in 1 John chapter 1 says, if we claim to be without sin, without brokenness, without need to change, well, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
So step number one is actually to realize that, that we actually have need in our life and we actually have need to God, for God to work. I'm not gonna look for God to work in other ways if I don't think that God needs to work in other ways in my life. But if we get there and can concede humbly and honestly that you know, we have need for God to work to a greater degree in our lives, then we can move to stage two where mutuality demands that you admit you need people. You admit you need people. Not just that you have need, but that you are not gonna independently meet all those needs yourself. It reminds me of friends of ours who are moving into a new place. I talked to them recently. I said, how's it going? You're enjoying the new place. They said, well, we're not quite in yet. I said, what do you mean? When'd you move in? Well, we got the house a couple months ago, but we're kind of moving in slowly. I said, why is that? They said, well, because we're moving in, you know, kind of one piece at a time doing it ourselves. We, we just feel bad asking people to help us move. And I thought you could have been in your new house two months ago, but because of your, your, your resistance or your ref refusal to ask people to help you move, you can't enjoy the Wonder that you can't enjoy living in your own house just because you are averse to asking people to help you move, really? And that's true of all of us, isn't it? That, that while we may be able to acknowledge need, we may not acknowledge that other people better than us can, can actually meet those needs in our lives. And yet that's the spiritual equilibrium of the dynamic of the way that God wants to work. Look at Acts chapter 4. In the first century church of believers, it said there that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions, anything that they brought to the table was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. In the first century church, there were no needy persons among them. The scripture said, incredible idea. But part of the, the reason God was able to work in that way is because people were open to what one another had and, and were humble and interdependent enough to give and receive from one another. You could be honest about your need, but still too independent to actually experience it being met by God through the gift of other people. Then step three, if you're prepared to admit that you need and that you need other people to, to meet those needs, mutuality demands that you admit you need people who specifically are different than you who specifically are different than you. So many times when, when we're prepared to kind of reach out to others, we, we have this spiritual food chain or hierarchy approach that we take where the only people we look to or reach out to are, are people who you know, have more than we do. You know, more intellect, more knowledge, more money, more capacity, more wisdom, more experience, thinking that those are the only people we can spiritually gain from and also mistakenly assuming that anyone who in those ways, you know, would have less than us is someone that we need to invest in one directionally because they're going to kind of food chain from us. But that's not the way that the scriptures intended this body and these parts to work. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says in verse 22 that some of the parts of the body of Christ that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. This again is the counter-cultural way of thinking of the kingdom of God that some of the people that you think will intuitively add the least value to your life are people and places where God wants to add the most value to your life. Even though they seem the weakest by earthly standards, they may be the most necessary to your spiritual development and to meeting the needs and growing you in the way that God desires. And so mutuality embraces that especially if we want to experience more of the work of God in our lives. Number four, mutuality demands that you admit you need people who are different than you to experience more of Jesus. The bottom line of mutuality appreciates that you find Jesus in the most unlikely places according to the world's 
ideals and standards of where you would find Jesus. The kingdom of God works in the exact opposite way. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, again, using society's definitions of greatest and least, whatever you did for what you would understand to be the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You're gonna find me in the least of these, not in the greatest of these, the most, because that's the way the kingdom of God works. And if you want to experience the wonder of unlikely friendships, the kind that movies are made of, let alone experience the wonder of the spiritual dynamics of maximizing the work of the person of Jesus in you, you'll not only Look to other people. You'll look to people who are different than you and get out of your comfort zone to embrace the diversity of friendships of mutuality. So this morning, ask yourself whether, whether you're at that place or, or what it would take for you to get to that place. Which of those stages is the biggest bottleneck for you? Think about that as you personally reflect. Think about that as you talk with your friends and family and life group this week. Are you able to admit that you need can you admit that you need people? Can you admit that you need people who are different than you? And can you admit that you need those people who are different than you to experience more of Jesus and his work in your life? Mentioned earlier the, uh, the friendship that uh, myself and our family and our extended hockey family have enjoyed with a guy like Norm over the last number of years. And, and, and so many of us are across our locations at this point, know Norm and love Norm and have experienced some of God's best through him. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we learned that Norm had a stroke and uh, he's been kind of cooped up in the hospital lately waiting to be transferred uh, to a rehabilitation place where uh, hopefully he can get better. But uh, we found that out as a hockey family um, just before our uh, league championship tournament, which was in Norm's, uh, one of his places that, he, that he's lived over the years in, uh, in Owen Sound. And Norm was really looking forward to coming with us and spending that weekend with the, with the team. And so Norm has missed not only our league championship series, but all of our playoff games and qualifying for our provincial championships, which are, are next week. And uh, I had no idea the sense of loss that our collective team would feel in Norm's absence in, in these last couple of weeks. It, it has struck me as unbelievable. Everyone who talks to me asks how Norm's doing and, and comments on you know, how much they miss him. What a, what a loss it's been to not have him around. What a loss in his commentary and a analysis of the games. What a loss in his engagement and his uh, motivation and psyching up of the kids. What a loss of his sense of humor and the way that he adds value to our group life. What a loss in the companionship on these long road trips. What a loss in the conversations about what God's doing and you know, how we're being challenged and what we're learning and struggling with. What a loss. And I share that with you only because you know, for some of us, we, we may not embrace this yet but I don't know if I can actually articulate how much you're missing by trying to organize your life around people who are exclusively as much the same as you as possible I, I, I can't explain you know tangibly it's only something you can learn experientially how much you're actually missing how much you are losing without that experience of diversity and mutuality in your life and so I'd encourage you, even challenge you, you know, to walk across the hallway or walk across the cubicle 
in your office this week to the person that you flatly avoided because how different they are than you. You know, walk across the classroom, have a conversation, get a coffee with someone that you would have otherwise, you know, never sought to know. Walk across the street, you know, spend some time at the mailbox with one of your neighbors that you've realized are different than you and because of that you've never bothered to, to get to know, to have a conversation with, to become friends with. Do, do something, take a step of, of getting involved in one of our anchor causes. Let our programs kind of drive you into that playground where these unlikely friendships can, can spawn. And, you know, ask yourself what action step you can take this week to position yourself to experience the wonder of mutuality and the joy of unlikely friendships. Now, this is especially critical in this journey that we're in called Love Beyond Belief, learning to develop a posture that can relate well to people even who are different than us and who, who believe different things about things that we believe strongly. B because, you know, love beyond belief is, is more than just exposing ourselves to people of, you know, diverse perspectives so that their perspective can sharpen ours. Love beyond belief is about more than just sharpening our perspective. Love beyond belief is about radically changing our experience and quality of life not just through the gift of a more robust faith, but a, a, the gift of a more rich and robust life, the, the way that we can relate, the kind of friendships that we can enjoy. And God is waiting for you and me to, to give us the gift of unlikely friendships, the kind that most movies are made of, so long as you and I will be willing to get out of our comfort zones and to actually seek out the kind of places where he wants to do the most work in us by embracing this spiritual dynamic of mutuality in relationships and by seeking out and fostering friendships with people who are different than us. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to thank you, uh, not only for offering yourself to rescue us from sin and death, but for loving people like us who in our choices and in our habits and in many of our attitudes are so different from you. Thank you for being a friend to us. And I pray that your hard attitude and the way that you have embraced uh, diversity, even, even in your own life on earth, that you would inspire us to pursue more of that uh, in our own lives. More than that, Jesus, convince us today of the countercultural way that you work and help us to actually look in the most unlikely places with confidence that that's where we will most find you and experience your work in our lives. Thank you that you want to do that. As you do that, blow us away with more and more incredible stories of the wonder of these unlikely friendships. Make our church community the place where movies are made of, not for our sake, but ultimately for yours, and to maximize the transforming work that you want to do, especially in this era that we're in, as we learn to love beyond belief. God, give us the gift of those kinds of friendships that we can enjoy through mutuality. We thank you for your faithfulness. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.